0: This is Introduction to Genitourinary Radiology, Part 2. I'm Dr. Dan Koval. So for this segment, I'll be talking about renal and bladder calculi and also give you a basic overview for renal mass evaluation. So let's start with calculi. Here are axial and coronal non-contrast CT images of the kidneys showing bilateral renal calculi. So the vast majority of renal calculi on CT will be visible. And when we describe Calculi as dense, we're typically referring to a density of greater than 500 Hounsfeld units. Those are typically calcium oxalate and calcium phosphate stones. But also, Struvite stones will be quite dense. Struvite is composed of magnesium ammonium phosphate and occur in the setting of uh, urease, splitting bacterial infections. Less dense Calculi are typically less than 500 Hounsfeld units, and those are most commonly urate stones, uh, especially if the pH is low of the urine. These may be invisible on x-ray. This was a study that showed that stones that measured greater than 4 millimeters were typically visible if the density was 500 or more. Density of less than 500, they were often not visible in x-ray, and therefore x-ray probably isn't a suitable follow-up modality in those patients. There are other less common less dense calculi like cysteine, xanthine, and indinavir stones. Also, another number to remember is a density of 1,000. That's been shown to be predictive of successful extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy. Stones that have a density of much greater than a thousand may not successfully fragment. Let's talk about some definitions on CT. So I mentioned Hounsfeld unit. That's the scale we use to measure density on CT. With that scale, water is defined as zero and air is defined as negative one thousand. And the term region of interest, or ROI, is when we place a circle or ellipse over an area we wanted to measure the density on. So bone is about 1,000. Blood and soft tissue ranges from 30 to 60 Hounsfield units. Water is zero, but there is a range. Fat is typically at least negative 50. And air, again, is negative 1,000. Let's look at a case. So you could see in this case, CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis without contrast. The left kidney is mildly hypodense, indicating edema, and also somewhat enlarged. And you can see that the left renal collecting system is also dilated, indicating hydronephrosis. And that's due to a stone in the left mid ureter. And so these are all findings we see in the setting of renal calculi obstruction. So hydronephrosis, nephromegaly, and then an edematous hypodense kidney. Now, this is a really nice example of perinephric stranding, which you can also see highlighted on the coronal reformatted images. And all that is due to an obstructing calculus here at the left ureterovesical vesicular junction. Now, let me just take a minute to go over some of the anatomy here since it's nicely delineated from the inflammatory fluid. This curvilinear line anteriorly is the anterior renal fascia, also known as Gerota's fascia. This curvilinear line posteriorly is the posterior renal fascia, or Zuckerkandl's fascia. And those fascial planes delineate the perinephric or perirenal space, which in this case has dilated linear lymphatics due to the perinephric stranding. Also, we have the lateral conal fascia extending posteriorly here. And then the transversalis fascia coats the posterior wall of the abdomen. Uh, Two other spaces to mention. Anterior to the anterior renal fascia here is the anterior pararenal space. Sorry for all the anteriors. Posteriorly, we have the posterior pararenal space. We typically perform renal stone search scans without intravenous contrast, but patients get IV contrast for other reasons, and it can actually be helpful. So, here's an example in a patient who has right hydronephrosis with perinephric stranding, and there's a delayed nephrogram, and that means that the right kidney is still in the cortical medullary phase, but you can see the left kidney is normally enhancing in the nephrographic phase. When we see a delayed nephrogram, we think of Things that can cause that would be uh, delayed arterial inflow, some obstruction to venous outflow, or urinary obstruction. And in this case, it was due to a stone here at the right vesicular junction. All right, now of course ultrasound is an excellent modality to evaluate for renal stones, especially given that it lacks ionizing radiation. And on ultrasound, renal stones tend to be echogenic, again meaning bright, and show posterior acoustic shadowing. So this superior most image shows two adjacent stones, and the inferior image shows a stone with uh, very nice posterior acoustic shadowing. Now, how do you optimize posterior acoustic shadowing? Well, you can make sure that your focal zone is lined up with the stone. You can also narrow the sector width of the beam. And if you're enterprising, you can increase the frequency of the probe you're using. All right, now what about this case? You can see an um, ill-defined echogenic area within the kidney, but it's hard to make out, and we don't really see much posterior acoustic shadowing. What can we do? Well, if you add color doppler imaging, that can sometimes help. You can see this heterogeneous multicolored artifact called speckle artifact, or twinkle artifact, and that can be helpful in identifying stones with only minimal shadowing. And here's the CT for comparison, just to show you that stone. Now here's a patient with hydronephrosis. So when we see that on ultrasound, you should always try and follow the ureter down, and you can see in this patient it's quite dilated. And then we also have dilatation at the mid ureter And then here's the bladder showing a stone at the ureterovesical vesicular junction. Here again we're seeing the echogenic calculus within the ureterovesical vesicular junction. So even though we typically think of CT for identifying ureteral calculi, ultrasound can be a very valuable tool and we can occasionally see stones in the ureter. Now another tool we use with ultrasound to identify whether a stone may be obstructing is to look at the ureteral jet under color Doppler imaging. And you can see in this patient, we did not see a left ureteral jet. So when you compare with the contralateral normal side, if you have an obstructed ureter, there's usually a less frequency, shorter duration, and lower peak velocity of the ureteral jet, if you see it at all. All right, now here's an x-ray showing multiple geometric and somewhat rounded calcifications in the pelvis centered over where the bladder would be. And this is a nice example of bladder calculi on x-ray, and it will look similar in CT. They may be rounded or have this geometric shape, and the pattern of calcification will be lamellated or lamellar, where it will have these concentric rings, typical for any calcification that's formed in a hollow viscous. Bladder calculi and ultrasound will look similar to renal calculi in that they'll be echogenic and show posterior acoustic shadowing, as in this case. Uh, Also, they'll, they'll tend to be mobile, so if you move the patient around, which is an advantage of ultrasound, its dynamic nature, you'll actually see the stone roll around. And just like with dense renal stones, you will typically see speckle artifact when you add color doppler, as in this case. Alright, so let's talk about renal mass evaluation now. I'll start with ultrasound and CT. So on ultrasound, renal masses such as simple cysts will be anechoic, meaning totally black. They'll show increase through transmission and they'll have thin or imperceptible walls. One thing you always want to do with any presumed assist on ultrasound is to add color doppler flow as there should be none. The pitfalls here could be a renal AVM, could rarely mimic a cyst on grayscale imaging, and also renal lymphoma can sometimes appear cystic. So renal masses on ultrasound that are neoplasms will be hypoechoic or echogenic. They may have vascular flow, and ultrasound isn't really specific for different subtypes of tumor. So this upper case is a hypoechoic solid mass that has vascular flow, and that turned out to be an oncocytoma, whereas this uh, mass on the lower image, which is heterogeneously echogenic, turned out to be a renal cell carcinoma papillary subtype. How do we evaluate renal masses on CT? Well, the first thing to do is to place an ROI on the lesion right here, and that was a density of 9 Hansfeld units. This was a non-contrast CT. Again, look at the aorta and you'll see that there is no intravascular contrast. This was a simple cyst. So simple cysts will have water density, which is less than 20. I know before I said zero was water, but there is a range. And if it's less than 20, you can confidently call it a cyst. And these simple cysts will have no septations wall thickening or significant calcification. Now, what about this lesion? The density is 51 Hounsfield units. That's definitely more than 20, so this is not a simple cyst. But before you jump to calling it a neoplasm, remember that benign hemorrhagic or protonaceous cysts can have a higher density greater than 20 and appear indeterminate on a routine CT scan, so they can mimic a solid neoplasm. So what do you do? So how can you evaluate this? Well, you can do a renal mass protocol CT. So that requires a minimum of two phases, a non-contrast phase, which will give you a baseline renal density, and then also a contrast-enhanced nephrographic phase, where lesions will be most conspicuous in this phase typically and remember that occurs about 90 to 100 seconds after the timing of contrast injection. So this patient and the nephrographic phase the density went up to 55. So how do you interpret that? Well generally a difference of less than 10 Hounsfield units between the non-contrast and the contrast enhanced indicates that there is no true enhancement. A difference of greater than 20 indicates definite enhancement and then there's a gray zone of 10 to 20 Hounsfield units where there's no agreed upon number. Some say 15 to 20 indicates true enhancement, but again, there's no agreement. So this patient, the difference is four Hounsfeld units. That's less than 10. You can confidently call this non-enhancing, and this is a benign hemorrhagic cyst. Bosniak category two, it needs no additional follow-up. This is that lesion I showed you earlier on the non-contrast image, consistent with a simple cyst with a density of nine Hounsfeld units. When we give contrast and we have the nephrographic phase, the density increases to 12 Hounsfield units. That's a density difference of three Hounsfield units. Again, that's less than 10 Hounsfield units, and you can confidently say this is non-enhancing. This is a simple cyst, Bosniak Category 1, needs no additional follow-up. In this case, the density on the non-contrast image of this mass arising from the posterior right kidney measures 23 Hounsfield units, That's greater than 20 Hansfeld units, so you cannot diagnose this as a simple cyst. It's not water density. So we give contrast, and the density increases to 171, which is a difference of 148 Hansfeld units. That's definitely greater than 20, and this is definitely enhancing. This turned out to be a renal cell carcinoma clear cell subtype, which tend to be the most hypervascular of the renal cell subtypes. So numbers to remember, if it's less than 20 on a non-contrast scan, it's consistent with simple fluid if the density difference is greater than 20 on non-contrast to enhanced scans that's diagnostic of true enhancement and probable neoplasm for the last segment let's talk about renal mass evaluation on mri so before talking about using mri for renal masses let me just touch upon some basics on how to identify what image you're looking at on mri so mainly we have t1 and t2 weighted images. And water will be dark on T1 and bright on T2. And you can remember the number 2 is in both H2O, water, and T2-weighted image. So you can identify the sequence you're looking at by looking for any kind of fluid or water. Whether you're looking at a brain MRI or spine MRI, you could see CSF in the spinal canal or ventricles, urine in the bladder and collecting system, anywhere you might have fluid. So in this case you can see in the uppermost image the fluid in the spinal canal is dark. That must be a T1 weighted image. And on the lowermost image it's bright. So that's some type of fluid sensitive or T2 weighted image. Now certain things will be bright on T1 and T2 weighted images. So fat is typically T1 bright. You can see the subcutaneous and intra fat here. Hemorrhage may be bright depending on its age. Complex pertinaceous fluid, like that in a hyperdense renal cyst, will often be intrinsically T1 bright. Melanin, as in certain types of melanoma, will be bright. And gadolinium, which is the contrast agent we use. Now, on T2-weighted images, uh, fat is typically bright. Hemorrhage may also be bright, again, depending on its age. And then simple fluid or water like CSF, urine, water and cysts, edema, or infection with inflammatory fluid will all be bright. And you can see there's the CSF, urine, in the collecting system. There's a simple renal cyst that's T2 bright. So you can see from this, both fat and hemorrhage can be T1 and T2 bright. That's a good rule to remember. All right, let's look at a case. So... Here we have T1 and T2-weighted images showing the left kidney, and within the left kidney there's a mass. It's T1 dark and T2 bright. And also note that it's iso-intense to the adjacent CSF on both sequences, so you know it has to be simple fluid, and this was a simple cyst. When we give gadolinium, you can see that the cyst is dark, meaning it's not enhancing, it's not taking up any contrast, and therefore it's not a solid neoplasm. And even this is a T even though this is a T1 weighted image you can see the fat is dark and that's because it's a fat suppressed image where we've nulled the signal from fat canceling it out and making it dark which we typically do whenever giving intravenous contrast because you don't want the bright background signal of the fat interfering with your assessment of enhancement. And in case you didn't believe that this was actually a simple cyst here's the CT showing that the density was actually 9 hounsfield units. Again, that's less than 20. That's classic for a simple cyst. Here's another case also with T1 and T2-weighted images. These images are fat-suppressed and that's why the fat is dark, because again, remember that fat is usually T1 and T2 bright. And we can see there's a right renal mass. And on T2, it's bright, so you may think it's a simple cyst, but then looking at T1, it's also bright, which you know is not consistent with a simple cyst. So we give gadolinium, and you can see that the lesion is bright, but not as bright as the surrounding kidney. So how do you interpret that? Do you assume it's enhancing because it's bright on post-contrast images? No. First, you would want to do subtraction images, which is a powerful tool that we can do with MRI. That's when you subtract the post-contrast from the pre-contrast images, and that leaves you with a series that shows true enhancements. So everything that's bright on a subtraction image is actually enhancing, like the kidney, the inferior vena cava, but notice the mass itself is not enhancing because it was actually a benign hemorrhagic protonaceous cyst. Um, so, any lesion that is intrinsically T1 hyperintense, you must do subtraction images after gadolinium, otherwise, you can't accurately assess whether it's truly enhancing, and that's a uh, standard protocol for renal MRI. All right. Thank you for staying to the end. That was part two. For part three, next time, I'll touch upon CT urography, review bladder and urethral diverticula, and then discuss scrotal pathology. See you then.